this is a reminder not only for us, but to invite and encourage others. Um, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. It marks a triumphal entrance of Jesus Christ into the city and, and starts Holy Week. And as Lent winds down, I hope it's been a, a good season, a good experience for you. If you still have questions about what Lent means, um, the, that the podcast still has a, a, a pretty good description, I believe, of, of the history and, and what it means and, and how we celebrate it and why. Um, on Holy Week, uh, we will have a, an online, it'll be via the podcast, service on Monday Thursday, which marks the Last Supper. Uh, how we usually celebrate communion, and then Good Friday as well. And it's tradition on Good Friday that the sanctuary would be um, stripped of all of its elements, that the, the banners come down, the, the cross will come down, the altar table may be covered because we're mourning the loss, the, the murder of Jesus Christ. Yet on, good, on, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, all of it comes back out, and the purple has been changed to white because... Everything is new and restored, and, and we, our sins are forgiven. And on Easter morning, we will have our traditional sunrise service, weather permitting, and we've been able to do this probably five out of the last six years. We'll have it on the lawn. Um, sunrise, I forget exactly, I think it's 6.33, so I think I said 6.20, we'll, we'll gather. Uh, we'll have chairs out, come sit, maybe bring a blanket or coat, because... You know, it's spring, but spring was a, a really nice day, wasn't it? Because that's about all we get sometimes. Um, and we will have, um, we'll read from scripture. We'll sing some, some hymns. Um, and then we'll come inside and we will have a hot breakfast available for everyone. And then we'll have our traditional um, Easter morning communion service at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary uh, like normal. So please encourage. We usually have really good attendance at, at the sunrise service. It's a wonderful way to start Easter um, again, I love that, that Easter falls on spring in this part of the world because it's such a, um, a reminder as the trees are blossoming and the flowers are up and the grass is greening up and the days are getting longer of all things new, all things new. So again, uh, invite friends, bring them family as well. So, this morning message I called Hard Fought Days. But last week we talked about how Jesus came to lead us from the front. Right? He pulls us along as he demonstrated what a perfect, sinless life looked like. He didn't push us from behind. He didn't threaten. He, he pulled us. He said, come with me. Do as I do. And he exemplified leadership by serving. And he humbled himself to the point of suffering a painful death by crucifixion for crimes and sins that he did not commit. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fool's bench. And let me share with you just a portion of that message as a reminder because it's going to kind of lead into what we're talking about this morning. I said that there will be points in your life when you feel foolish as you repeatedly invite a friend, a neighbor, or even a family member to church, or every week you wait for them to show up, or, or you hear their thin reasons for missing. And there will be times in your life when you almost exhaust yourself with prayers and offers for someone you know to just give faith in Jesus Christ a chance. And there will be times in your life when you feel a prompting to walk across the room and talk to a perfect stranger, to give them words of comfort to talk to them about your faith and your story. And you will not know for certain how they will respond to any of these. And I asked if you were willing to risk seeming foolish as you, as you trust in God's desire for your life. Are you willing to feel foolish and risk foolishness as you share the good news of the gospel with someone who may not immediately respond the way that you'd like them to? 
And the good news was there is someone who is willing to do that, that was willing to, to seem foolish, to take on all of this punishment for us. Jesus encourages you with reminders of God's unfailing love. He has invited you into a personal relationship with him and to claim the gift of salvation. He welcomes you to the table that he has prepared for you. He is not ashamed or afraid to feel foolish for sacrificing so much for you. He simply waits for you to join him. You would think that the Son of God would have had no problem accomplishing his mission on earth to seek and to save the lost. A mission that each and every person born into this fallen world benefits from. But we know from the story of his life, described not only by his own words, but also by the eyewitness accounts of many others, that this mission included many hard-fought days as he was repeatedly rejected. And I'm going to kind of look at this from a couple different angles. He was rejected by his own world and in his own time. In the sixth chapter of Mark, verses 1 through 6, so Mark 6, verses 1 through 6, we find Jesus and his followers returning to his hometown. On the Sabbath, he enters a synagogue and he begins to teach. Scripture tells us that many who heard him were astounded. Some were even offended and they asked, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Amazed at the community's lack of belief in him, Jesus observed that prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own family in their own house. In Luke's account of the same uh, event, it's found in Luke 4, 16 through 30, the teachings Jesus conducts includes the reading of the scroll of Isaiah about the Messiah, which he follows up by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In Jesus' narrative, the people also rejected Jesus. So how did Jesus respond to this rejection? He didn't argue. He didn't get mad. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't command legions of angels to, angels to appear and prove anything. After his hometown Nazareth turned him away, Jesus, it says, and I quote, goes out among the villages teaching. That's Mark 6, 6. He went out. He just continued. This was Jesus' way. He wasn't deterred. He simply continued his mission. After the Samaritans refused to host them, Jesus rebukes the disciples who wanted vengeance. You know, they wanted to get back at these people for not being hospitable when all they were trying to do was help and, and share the, the good news. But Jesus said no. He rebuked them and he said, and then just says they went on to another village. And I suppose that's the confidence that comes with the power of knowing that you're right, that you aren't easily deterred by, by persecution or rejection or the way think, people think about you. But when Jesus, Judas betrayed him, Jesus responded by saying this. He says, friend, do what you came to do. Matthew 26, 50. Friend, do what you came to do. You see, it was not his desire to be rejected, but he knew that he would be. In Mark 8, 31, we read that he then began to teach them, meaning his followers, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days rise again. Even when his message was one of hope and the promise of God's love and rescue, he was rejected. He was just trying to help. He was rejected for the very thing, the very good things he was sent to do. In John 10, beginning at verse 10, we find Jesus speaking of himself as the good shepherd. We read this last Sunday. He explains how he would willingly lay down his life for his sheep like any good shepherd does. 
But in verse 19, we find the response of the crowd who had gathered to hear him speak. It reads, the Jews who had heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They'd seen what he had done. Yet part of the crowd rejected him for what he was doing. In each of these instances, God's response, Jesus' response was to continue his God-ordained mission, not deterred. Rejection did not change his plans because the mission was unaffected by people's response. Jesus is who Jesus is regardless of who people think that he is. It does not change who he is or why he came. And furthermore, and here's the real lesson for us, he made up his mind to trust God regardless of the circumstances or how he was received. That's the lesson for us. This drive was captured in the lyrics of the song that we use as closing for our service for several weeks. It was, here I am, Lord. Do you remember the words? It said, here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. <coughs> we witness this explicitly in the narratives of the passion this week that we're commemorating here soon. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays that the cup of God's wrath would pass from him. But he also concludes by saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus completely surrendered his life and will to the Lord and decided to trust God's leading completely, just as we should. But it wasn't just the people that had gathered to hear him or the, the crowds in the streets. It was his own friends, his own disciples that, that would reject him at times. Matthew 26, 31 through 35 captures the story of Peter. And I'm gonna jump around just a little bit. But starting at verse 31, it says, then Jesus told him, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That is um, a prophecy from Zechariah 13, seven. But it continues in verse 32. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing, right? We're with you. We're in the, I would never, never disown, reject Right. And this account is also recorded in Mark 14, 27 through 31, and, and also in John 13, 31 through 38. I love how the Gospels tell these stories from slightly different perspectives from the eyewitnesses. But it's this latter from John that includes a precursory remark by Jesus that he will only be with them a little longer. And it's Peter's response to this that always gets my attention. So Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So this is how all in, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how all in Simon Peter was. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. There it is again, captured in the words of John. But I want to give you a little backstory so you can understand where Peter's coming from in this. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, we find Peter declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is a familiar passage. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I love this direct question from Jesus. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Jesus asked every single one of us this question every day. Who do you say I am? Not what they say you should believe, not what so-and-so thinks, but who do you say I am? And here's how Simon Peter answered, verse 16. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now there's some, some different theories on this. Am I building my rock on you, Peter, or am I building my rock on your belief of who I am? But in this context, it doesn't matter. He's saying you, to who I am to you, that I am the Messiah, that is what this is going to be built on. And he becomes, has the name Peter, which means rock also. It's that kind of faith. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So now we have this, this really special moment when, when Simon Peter says, I know who you are. And so now we see where this is coming from when he says, I would give my life for you. I'd lay it down. I would never reject you. I'd never disown you. But let's jump forward to the time of Jesus' arrest. This is found in John 18, 15 through 27. It says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's court. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. I am not. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Verse 20, Jesus' words says, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow three times, three times. This man who said, I would never, I would never. But imagine what Peter must have felt at that moment when he realized that he had denied Jesus. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I never would have done that, you know, but he did. We still do this today. Many people profess to be Christians and they're denying Christ in their daily life. The main cause for the denial is that, that we put value on our life here more than value on a life and a future life in heaven. Like Peter, we would adamantly claim that we would never let that happen. Not to me, we would say. 
I believe in the Bible and I know who God is and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But how might this happen? But not accepting who he is. Luke, 8, Luke 12, 18, 9 says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Right? We would never do that. I would never publicly deny or, and I would publicly acknowledge, but don't we get a little hesitant? We talked about this in our Bible study this morning, right? We're worried about being PC or not hurting feelings or being woke. And so we just don't want to step on toes or offend anybody with our truth. We'd never do that. But remember, that's what Peter said too. I would never deny Jesus. But Jesus is the reason that we're here this morning. So we must not be rejecting him, right? Because here we are on Sunday morning. We're hearing his words. We're singing songs of praise. We're praying in his name. So keep that in mind as we look at a couple other scenarios. Sometimes we cling too tightly to the world. world. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says, said, Jesus said to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's setting aside, it's yielding, it's surrendering. It's not giving up, it's turning over to Jesus and his life. You know, in Matthew 6, 24, it's talking about loving the world and loving money. And, and, I, and there's this really poignant statement. He says, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Now he says, you cannot serve both God and money, but insert world, insert fame, insert um, anything that other than God. You can't serve both God and anything but him. That's the, that's the beginning of the commandments. No other God before or beside me, right? Do you ever think about when you put something ahead of God or even equal to God, even for a moment you're denying who he is to you. Don't be ashamed or secretive about your Savior. Again, think of Peter. You know, we're familiar with this verse from Matthew 5. It says not to put our light on a, under a basket, but put it up on a lampstand, right? The city on a hill for all to see. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Live a life. Speak a life of light. Jesus died for us in public. So we don't want to just live for him in private. We want to live for him in public as well. But not accepting the good news of the gospel, regardless of who's sharing it. Because we talked about this morning, there are promptings of the Holy Spirit when they come through someone sharing the good news, that this is the truth of God's own words. Luke 10, 16 says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. If we're doing this right, if, if God's words are spoken by Jesus and he's sending out the disciples and telling us to make disciples and we're sharing this good news, if people are rejecting the words we're sharing when they're God's words are rejecting him, don't reject when someone shares the good news. Don't dismiss it as something less than what it is. It's not just about denying who he is, but if we deny what he has done, we are rejecting him. You know, we are often very hard on ourselves. But Jesus says, I paid for that on the cross, right? I paid that. You are forgiven. And when we are hard on ourselves and we don't forgive ourselves, we're denying that gift. 
not only are we saying I, I, I'm not accepting it, but you're saying it wasn't good. It wasn't right. It wasn't meant for me. You did that for nothing. That's denying. It's rejecting. And we also need to do our part and stop sinning. To repent means to not only stop what we're doing, but to turn away from it. And lastly, not following our calling. We all have a purpose in this life. God has given you skills and abilities. You may have discovered them yet. You may not. You may have still working your way through this, but God has given you talents and abilities and gifts to use for the service of other people in this world. And if you're not following that calling or you're not responding to the great commission, which is for all of us to go and make disciples, then you're denying what he came to do. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Right? We do a lot of good, good things. But if we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing and giving him glory, it says, I'll tell you plainly, I never knew you. Friends, Jesus wants to save you and to connect you to your heavenly father. That's why he came. He pushed through all the rejection in order to fulfill his mission. He loves you that much that he would be cursed. He would be spit upon. He'd be chased out of towns. He'd be brutally punished and murdered for the very thing that he came, the very thing that we need him to do, and that is to give us grace. All of this out of an immeasurable love for you and for everyone else. Jeremiah 31.3 captures God's own words as I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Everything that God has done since the creation of, of man and woman and, and since the expulsion from the garden all the way through Genesis, all the way through today are keeping with this statement. I love you with an everlasting love. I love you too much to, to let you sin. I love you too much to leave you where you are. I've drawn you with an unfailing kindness. I will care for you and protect you. And he certainly doesn't reject you. The psalmist writes, Psalms 66, 20, Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Every single one of us can say that. Praise be to God. He's not rejected our prayers. The prayers we shared just 15, 20 minutes ago in this very room, God hears them. He does not reject them. And to that we can add, Praise be to God for Jesus who asks for our forgiveness when we reject him. And, and we thank him for this wonderful grace because we know as Jesus' words on the cross, it says, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting you. Please forgive them. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to face rejection for sharing your faith and the reason, the hope you have? I I made this little image for the background slide of Jesus, you know, pushing this cross up the hill to us and someone on the top of the hill kind of, you know, giving the stiff arm. But sometimes we feel like we have to do all the work, right? And bring our stuff to the cross. That is not the image, pushing things uphill. It's more like this. Jesus extending. It's more like that. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's more like that. Jesus extending his hand. Let me pull you along. Let me, let me invite you. 
trying to serve the Lord will not necessarily shield you against rejection or pain or hurt feelings. Jesus the Christ, the apostles, and many other people sense that. And people, even in your own life, are proof of that. You may not be spared from personal rejection but, or, or embarrassment or, or feeling silly, right? But you'll never be rejected by God from his grace and his promises. You see, despite his hometown rejecting him, Jesus was still the son of man. Despite the Samaritans' refusal to give him a room, Jesus went on to have a powerful ministry. And despite Judas's betrayal, Jesus' life fulfilled scripture. And despite enduring the wrath of God and the crucifixion, Jesus would be crowned with glory and honor. And because of this magnificent gift that is our Savior, Jesus Christ, we don't have to fight an uphill battle for salvation. Salvation, like that slide. It's already been won. We simply need to accept the gift that is being offered. Will you take it? I just want to close with just a few lines from the Psalms and then a prayer as we prepare to take communion. Psalm 118, 22 to 24. We read this this morning. It says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of our hope, of our salvation, of our church itself. The one that was rejected is our foundation. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miraculous gift, the one we celebrate on Christmas with the, with the birth of the Christ child, and even more so this time of year, when we reflect on the relatively short ministry of Jesus Christ. And all that he came to do, this ministry that that came to to seek and save the lost, to bring us into a reconciled relationship with you. Lord, you cannot, you cannot forgo your holiness. And Lord, we have just not been able to figure out how to be holy ourselves. So Jesus Christ came to, to demonstrate what living a godly life looks like. And then he gave that life so that we could be reconciled. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we, we, we ask for your forgiveness and we confess our sins that have become those nails in his hands and his feet that have put him on that cross. But well, we don't reject him for that. We accept that wonderful gift and we accept the challenge to take this good news and how it saved our lives and share that with others and save their lives too. Lord, you call on each and every one of us to do this very thing. And Lord, we're thankful that he came and he prepared this table and he said, come, join me. I extend an open invitation. Just accept me. He says, my my burden is light. My yoke is light. So as we bring our stuff to the cross this morning, as we confess our sins, as we accept the gift of salvation as we remember the life that he gave. We are thankful to you, gracious Heavenly Father, for this miraculous gift. It's in his name we pray in honor of you that we ask. Amen.